Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound, the 10 supply chain trends to watch in 2022. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And joining us today are Amy Augustine and Adam James. Amy is the Senior Director of Network Supply Chain at U.S. Cellular, and Adam is the Vice President for North America Surface Transportation at C.H. Robinson. Amy, Adam, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Ditto, thank you. Looking forward to the discussion today. Well, it's great to have you both, and we're looking forward to it as well. Uh, Last month, Abe and I looked at uh, and focused on five of ASCM's top trends for 2021. Today, Amy and Adam are going to walk us through ASCM's top trends to watch for 2022. Now, we have a lot to get through, and we're determined to hit all 10. So think of this a little bit like speed dating our way through the trends. Abe, why don't you get us started? I appreciate it, Bob. And Amy, uh, let's uh, give you the first go here. Um, I'm going to focus on the first, uh, uh, the trends, and not surprisingly, it was also the top trend in 2020. So it's achieved the top rank in both years, and that's advanced analytics and automation. Why is this giving you know us a focus on advanced analytics and supply chain for two years in a row, Amy? Thanks, Abe. When I think about the supply chain transformation that I need to lead my network supply chain through, this is one of the biggest areas of opportunity for us. You know, right now today, we need to slice and dice our data in multiple different views to drive our partners and make decisions faster. And this is very difficult for us today because we have data in multiple systems that don't talk to each other. And then we use Excel to combine all this data from these systems to create reporting. This is very much a snapshot in time. And we all know things in the supply chain change every second. So in the future, we need to automate this reporting, which allows us to spend the time doing the advanced analytics to analyze this data, to make faster and smarter decisions with our inventory and to communicate to our partners in engineering on how it might impact their build plans. This is going to be key to our success as a supply chain department. You know, automation allows for this dynamic data. My team can spend more time solving the problems versus figuring out where we have the problem. Adam, uh, number two, I believe was number two last year as well. And it's certainly the one that I hear about from everyone, including uh, those in my own media company, that is supply chain talent. And at every level of the organization, you know, not just at the floor level. Now, I have heard there's a truck driving shortage. So as a trucking company, I have to think you're living this at C.H. Robinson. Well, absolutely. On, on the truck side and finding drivers, that has been a challenge for a number of years. And I, I think as we operate globally, as an organization, we saw really maybe three areas where talent has risen to be such a, a, a challenge. One is just the talent that's been 
removed from the workplace due to the pandemic. And that started in Asia where the initial lockdowns began and really bled into ports and drivers and warehouses and all really the labor that's required to move product through the supply chain and, and really created that bullwhip effect of not just inventory, but talent as well. And I think what it speaks to is we, we recognize that there, there maybe isn't as much elasticity in our, our talent pools as maybe we had anticipated. Now, along with that talent, you, you probably are thinking of the, the term that has been thrown around this idea of the great resignation and i saw a, a really good flip on that this morning which uh, somebody described it not as much maybe as a as a great resignation as maybe a, a, a great reorganization to some of amy's comments and and as i think about our own company and the companies that that we work with a lot of it is about applying the right talent to the roles that are going to be necessary, not just in the near term, but over the course of the next three, five, and even 10 years. So as we think about some of the trends that will get pulled in here, whether it's advanced analytics and automation or building a digital supply or uh, being agile or any of these components that we might think about, it really requires the, the talent that not only has the, what we might call the hard skills of, of having the, the maybe the technical expertise, the ability to work in with new products, new tools, new capabilities, but it really requires those, those soft skills. And I hate to refer to them as soft because if you have these skills, you're not a very soft individual, but uh, your ability to change and be resilient and, and be willing to iterate and understand that, that really we're in this, this, this economy and this marketplace where things are moving so fast that you have to be ready to adopt and, and move forward. And so there's a lot kind of boiled into the, the talent component, which is why it actually, Bob, rose a few points um, in the rankings this year, because again, it's not just being having access to the person, but it's making sure that you have access to the, the right caliber of individual that can fill the short-term need as well as scale to the, to the long-term needs, which are certainly represented in these trends. Amy, let me throw this back to you. Um, supply chain professionals have been trying and focused on visibility for as long as any of us can remember. Um, through the pandemic, we saw the challenges for transparency and visibility. And not surprisingly, this has uh, achieved number three status from not even being on the list last year. Why is it so critical today? You know, Abe, when I, when I thought about this is even in my world, getting visibility to my partner's build schedule. That's basically my forecast. And in past years, it's been extremely difficult to get any information out of engineering, which makes our job so much more difficult in supply chain. But I think of the future, and there's some changes that happened over there where I'm getting some visibility now, it's allowing us to react faster to see where I might have future stockouts or where my lead times are increasing. And then this in turn lets my team figure out a solution. Do I need to find another supplier? Can I move inventory around my network to solve the issue? Do I need to change the shipping method from ocean to air and so on? And so in my world, right, engineering, my engineering partners don't want the tower crews sitting around idle. The tower crews wanna go work and you definitely don't want them sitting without any work to do. So we need them building or they're off to that next job 
due to staffing issues. And so allowing us to have this visibility into engineering's data and forecast lets us know when they need to, when they're pushing or pulling sites. You know, in past years, we've done a lot of firefighting because we haven't had the visibility where my team's getting called and we're on calls from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. moving around inventory. That's not effective way to run the supply chain. And so the more visibility that we can get in the supply chain, the more effective we can be in supporting our business needs and making sure that our tower crews are kept busy, there's equipment on the ground, and we're being effective with the time spent during the day to manage other issues that we see further out and not spending the time that day firefighting because we didn't have visibility into the forecast changing. Uh, Adam, number four on the list uh, was the rise of e-commerce. And, you know, frankly, I think the rise of e-commerce is probably related to the last one uh, you just talked about, which was supply chain talent. Since, you know, e-commerce is driving more and more deliveries, which means more and more drivers, it's piece picking. So more and more people, you know, on the warehouse floor. Uh, two questions. First, does C.H. Robinson play in the e-commerce space? And then regardless of that, what impact has it had or likely to have on logistics overall? Yeah, so first off, yes, Robinson does play in the e-commerce space and is e-commerce and fulfillment is one of the fastest growing segments in our space. And we've made some acquisitions to continue to bolster that as well as working internally with our, our platform Navisphere to continue to improve the experience for, for our customers working in that space. As an example, we're working with a, a company like Etsy to um, embed our services inside of their platform to allow for uh, buyers and sellers to interact and, and move their product maybe in different ways than they've done before. But that's that's just a, a small microcosm of what I think is happening overall in this kind of this omni-channel world and a new consumer that is likely to do their shopping online before they ever set foot in a store or place that order on their, their smartphone or, or whatever. And, and when I think about when I think about that, and it speaks to what Amy described a bit around visibility and this whole concept of being able to plan and forecast in an individualized consumer and, and trying to understand how do you segment your customer base to pull those forecasts into an aggregate way to allow <clears throat> to actually make sense of it because if everything is so individualized, how do you ever really forecast that demand appropriately? And, and so it, it becomes a, a challenge. It requires not just the people that you mentioned on the, the warehouse floors to um, and the, the drivers associated with it and the local routes and all the things to, to actually get the product to somebody, but it also takes all of the tech to receive those orders and to acknowledge them and then to fulfill them. Just as an example of how this is proliferating, I was thinking about this in preparation. Uh, we recently got a, a puppy and we were looking for a, a toy that we could put inside of his crate to soothe him. And I looked online and I, I looked at a, a local retailer and it said on their website, hey, we've got this in stock at this store. And I go to the store and they say, oh, we don't have that in stock. We haven't done our inventory yet and call this other store. And I tried to remain patient and not lose my cool too much. But I, I basically was thinking that in my mind this whole time, like, hey, in this world of e-com and the ways your consumers are, are shopping, maybe having visibility to your inventory should be a bit more prioritized 
as an example. So it's out there, it's gonna continue to grow. We're gonna continue as individual consumers to shop differently. And, and so companies have to be prepared for that. Amy, we're about halfway through and uh, no surprise, uh, the pandemic has laser focused us on resiliency and how do we respond from the different types of disruptions that we're facing here. Uh, next on the list is supply chain risk and resiliency. Uh, given your focus and the organization, I'm sure you evaluate all types of risk from cybersecurity, environmental supply shocks. Um, how does your company address this issue? It's a massive uh, concern for a lot of supply chain professionals today. It definitely is, Abe. And, you know, at U.S. Cellular, I imagine is, you know, like a lot of other companies and how we are addressing it. And it's a huge topic for us, especially in my world of network. You know, if my group can't source and deliver equipment, our engineering group can't upgrade or build cell sites, and this impacts our customer experience. You know, during the pandemic, for the first time, we've seen our lead times increase by huge amounts, sometimes 25 to 50%. We've seen our equipment stuck on container ships off of Long Beach. You know, the chipset shortage, has that has had impacts on our supply chain. And one of the big conversations that I'm having right now with our engineering partners is we need to look at our supplier base and where do we only have one supplier under contract and what are the lead times are we seeing with this supplier doing, you know, and do we need to carry some safety stock. And we're having these discussions with engineering right now and it's really difficult for them to understand the risk to their build and so. One of the biggest challenges, right, is for us to overcome this lack of understanding of supply chain with our engineering partners. I'll be completely honest. It's extremely hard to get them to understand that 90 days is not enough time for us to place a PO in this environment to get them their equipment. And they are so used to, well, you know, five years ago, I could place a PO in 30 days and our suppliers could ship us the equipment. We could have it in time. But I have to say, you know, the supply chain being in the news is helping us with this conversation with engineering. And like I said, they have their favorite suppliers, but we're trying to work with them and really come up with a plan. I don't, I need to have contingency plans with suppliers. I don't want to have the, oh crap, what do I do now plan because I can't get their equipment. And so we're really taking a deep dive this year with our engineering partners, and we're making sure that we have a backup supplier for all our categories. Even if we, we, we only buy a minimal amount of equipment or coax cable or whatever we need from that supplier. But it's really, you know, really, really important for us to look across our supply base and figure out where we have these issues. Because, you know, I think COVID has just exposed it even more where I think in the past people have been able to flex. But now when you have such a global impact, it comes to the forefront. And, and this is, number one, one of the biggest things that my team has to help solve for engineering this year. Adam, number six is related to the conversation Abe, uh, Abe and Amy just had, which is agility. I, I, I personally found it really interesting when I started following supply chain, it was risk management. And then after risk management, people started talking about, well, it's great to identify the risk, but how are you gonna bounce back? So resiliency started coming to the fore. And now we're hearing this term supply chain agility. So what does that mean to you at CH Robinson? How do you differentiate between resilience and agility? And you know, what's a resilient organization? What's an agile organization? It's a great question, Bob, because 
historically agility was really bundled into risk and resilience, like you said. But as we were out there in the market, looking at all this research, agility seemed to be its own uh, its own standalone today. And the way that I've been talking about it over the last couple of months in discussions around this top 10 trends list is resilience to me seems to be a bit more defensive versus agility seems to be a bit more offensive. Going on the offense, I don't want to be like a offensive, like it's a, a bad term. Um, whereas resilience is building all the buffers that are associated with it so that you can withstand any storm that comes your way, if you will, to have all of the avail available supply in places to withstand that disruption. Whereas agility is your ability to get to as many places as possible really speaks to that e-com and omni-channel discussion that we discussed earlier, that having your product in multiple places and being able to get it there quickly, efficiently, uh, seamlessly is, is so important. So I think you know, from a product standpoint, that might be a key differentiator. The other area where I see the term agility continuing to come up more and more, and I think is very relevant to our conversation today is in the digital or, or tech space, the whole agile methodology, which many of your listeners I'm sure are familiar with, where it talks, uh, where it really speaks to designing quickly, iterating, getting feedback, failing fast, continuing to make improvements. And so agility also speaks to not just that, maybe that attitude in terms of your IT development and your product development, but just in general, the, it speaks to what type of talent you need. It speaks to how you want your, your product to flow and being able to, to, again, iterate quickly, move quickly, learn quickly, fail fast, and, and continue to, to make your product better. Amy, next up on our list is digital supply chains. A very interesting terms because in a lot of ways uh, we hit on some of the topics from you know automation, analytics, visibility. Um, in our lexicon, using the SCORE model, this used to be the very linear supply chain that we are all accustomed to, and that's plan, source, make, deliver, return, and enable. So a very clear linear process. When we're talking about digital supply chains now, we're talking about a very interconnected digital network. How do you digitize supply chain at U.S. Cellular? So Abe, for us, you know, when I look to the future of network supply chain at U.S. Cellular, this would be the holy grail for us. You know, to me, the digital supply chain is that ability to have that visibility across our supplier, supplier, our engineering bill schedules, our other pieces of data, and this real-time visibility across everybody that touches our supply chain would allow us to predict, predict these potential issues or conflicts and solve them. You know, in today's world, for, for me, our lead times became our indicator of an issue. And in most cases, right, it was too late for us to react as a supply chain team. And I think about how if I had visibility into my supplier suppliers data, how this would allow us to sense when these issues with the chipset and other raw materials were starting to appear. This would allow us would have allowed us then to make the decisions to either place more POs, pivot to another supplier, work with our supplier to understand impact and work backwards into our engineering group to understand impacts to their build schedule. When I, on the flip side, when I think about our other uh, supply chain that we have at US Cellular, right, our channel supply chain, so the supply chain that supports our retail stores and partners, 
when I think of digital for them, being able to see in real time customer demand and what customers are 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 thinking about purchasing, right? Like who's looking at what device on our website or what accessory, who's clicking the purchase button and being able to see that right away, you know, on a on a dashboard from what's in our warehouses to what's in transportation to what's in all our retail stores and where where can we fulfill this properly and when do we see that we need to place that next PO with you know Apple or Samsung to get those devices in 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 house and even now when i think about the chipset shortage on on that side of the house having this digital supply chain capability would have helped predict a lot of that sooner and then being able to figure out, do we need to do something else to make sure we have some type of devices like sourcing a certified pre-owned for our customers? And so really in the digital supply chain is this journey that at US Cellular, we've only started to discuss, but we know we have to evolve to get there and how it would have huge impacts on how we operate both sides of our supply chains. Uh, Adam, number eight is cybersecurity. Now, we know it's important because no CEO wants to be on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, you know, because they were hacked. Um, is it a supply chain issue? And if so, what role can supply chain play to keep the network secure? Sure. It's a, it's a great question around where what is supply chain's role? Because you might think, well, supply chain is ultimately a victim maybe of some cybersecurity, but can they actually can benefit the organization in any way or, or is it just a byproduct of, of having to play victim? And, and I think about all the areas where cybersecurity can, can impact an organization from not just accessing customer data, which is so critical, but projects and strategies that, that companies are working on, designs of new products. And so I think where, where supply chain can can really maybe aid this conversation or help this conversation around some of the best practices that supply chain practitioners have been learning about and instituting for a long time. And those are things like classification. So being able to classify and, and working through a process of, of understanding what tech stacks do you have as an example, where might there be uh, holes or, or places where people could come in and what do those look like and begin to classify them. I think about segmentation and being able to segment your suppliers as an example and understanding who are your key suppliers, who are ones that you might have more risk around. And then and then behind all of that, the documentation that we've all been trained to, to really document and set up terms and, and really build a plan around. So I think supply chain can, can bring in some best practices that are leveraged across even Abe brought up the SCORE model. If you think about all of the best practices inside of SCORE, some of those best practices, I think, can be bubbled up to help other parts of the organization to say, how might we um, avoid this, these risks and how can we set things up in such a way that if there are risks and, and we need to manage them and mitigate them, what are some resources or some tools that we can use, some best practices that we can bring in to, to actually do that? Amy, we're down to our last two. And number nine is customer centricity. Um, it's new on the list, which is kind of interesting that it's risen to the top 10. You referenced this a little bit before when we were talking about digital supply chains and giving the customers uh, you know, some more visibility. 
what does it mean to you at USL to keep the customer at the center of your supply chain and not just marketing to them? What is it focused on in terms of customer centricity? You know, Abe, the customers we serve through US Cellular are located in very rural America. And so sometimes it becomes hard for us to even provide next day delivery because our carrier doesn't deliver to that location of America on Saturday or Sunday. And then now you start adding in that people now more than ever are buying online and want to do pickup in store or want same day delivery. We have to get creative and we have some very creative associates. You know, we have an example um, of an associate in one of our stores in Rockland, Maine, who went out of their way to deliver de uh, devices to a customer on an island and had to do this via boat, right? And so, like I said, we have creative associates. But then if I think of what we need to do to make sure that our associates are equipped to be creative, you know, our channel supply chain department, they're looking at different ways for us to support how we can deliver our devices and accessories to our customers. May that be a via store of curbside pickup, in-store pickup, is it being delivered by a carrier or other method, i.e. like the associate delivering it via boat. But we have to be smart about it, right? So how do we get that product closest to the customer but allow us the flexibility to move it to another location if needed? And so when I think about it on my side of the house, on the network side, with more and more people working from home and using more cellular data, we have to keep our network up and running. And so my team has to pivot when engineering pivots. And so if we have, for example, a hurricane or other natural disaster that happens, we have to work hand in hand in partnership with our engineering group to make sure we can get that material to the sites that engineering needs to fix or rebuild. And I'll be honest with you all, some of our sites are in very remote areas that are not easy to access. And so sometimes we have to use unconventional transportation like a horse and a large wagon, which I'm sure Adam, at working for a trucking company, you probably have not heard that people still use horses and large wagons to deliver material. Adam, we're at the last trend. I'm I have to forgive me for chuckling, but um, I've been stranded on one of those islands that you can only get to uh, by boat off the coast of Maine doing a story. So when, when you mentioned that, Amy, it made me laugh. Um, Adam, the last trend, and I'm kind of surprised this one was number 10 and not higher up given all the discussion around it, which is uh, AI and machine learning. So you know, one of the questions that always comes up around AI and ML is, are they real? You know, are they, uh, you know, battle tested and ready for deployment? Um, where are they in their evolution? And are you using them at CH Robinson? Yeah, thanks, Bob. Your surprise comment, um, as I, I think about that a bit, this topic used to be bundled into advanced analytics and automation. So and that big banner of advanced analytics and automation included within that were things like AI and machine learning. And, and this year it, it was extracted out because it, it had its enough of its own power, I guess, to, to kind of stand alone. And, and what that speaks to is the fact that it's very real and it's, it's happening and, and it's beyond just Siri and Alexa today and how you might use tools like this in your day-to-day your -day lives. And from a Robinson perspective, we've been investing heavily in these areas. We've got a, a group of 
people, and we, we reference it as Robinson Labs. And, and, and within Robinson Labs, it's just a group of data scientists that are, are essentially doing this type of work all the time, identifying a problem, developing a hypothesis, and then testing it to ultimately get to production of a product. And a couple of that I can think of just in how we're using this today is one on, on the customer side of our business, we have a, what we call TPE, a transactional pricing engine that connects with customers, ERPs or TMSs. And what that allows them to do is literally quote tens of thousands of shipments and, and get rates back in real time or near real time, you know, within a matter of seconds on, on literally tens of thousands of quotes. And, and so not only is there that digital interaction that speeds up a process that, you know, from a, a human standpoint to, to prog process tens of thousands of quotes would take some time, um, but the learning part of it. And so what the, the engine is doing and, and the math behind it and the algorithm that's set up is it's constantly learning to give a better experience back to the customer, to refine the pricing, to understand what market rate is today and looking ahead and making predictive uh, elements to what the pricing will be maybe when you want to move that shipment. So that's just one example where uh, the science is, is picking up and really enabling our customers to have a, a much better experience and to be more agile, maybe is what I'd say. On the carrier side, this is again, just one example of many, but just this week we launched uh, a, a new version of our carrier app, Navisphere Carrier. And, and what that's doing is really signaling to drivers out there what available loads are in the marketplace. And so think of it, Think of it a bit as like maybe an Amazon experience for drivers where it's it's not only going to predict what shipments that driver or that carrier might want, but it's going to constantly learn to give them better options so that when they get into the app, it should be making recommendations to them on, on freight that they actually want and at prices that they, they want to move them at. And so again, there's just so much of this happening and it, and products are learning while there's still some human intervention from time to time. It's real, it's happening, and, it, and it's definitely disrupting the, the industry in a variety of ways. Amy and Adam, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Really a, um, a developing and an ongoing activity for a lot of organizations and uh, being at the forefront as you two are, you really um, are uh, sharing a, quite a bit of information for our listeners here. Uh, that's all the time we have today. Special thanks to our guests, Amy and Adam. Uh, for those of you interested in the top 10 trends, you can find them at ASCM.org. And finally, a special thanks for all of you for joining us today on The Rebound. We hope you'll be back for our next episode. For The Rebound, I'm Abe Eskenazi. And I'm Bob Troublecock. All the best. Thanks again. The Rebound is a joint production of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and STMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.